You're watching the Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to a pirate's life for me on the Sports Objective. Join us every Friday at noon as we catch up with a member of Pirate Nation. Here's your host, Bubba Rosenbaum. What is going on, Pirate Nation? Welcome into another edition of A Pirate's Life for Me. And uh, you know, today we're catching up with a member of Pirate Nation. I've known this guy, I guess, for at least 15 to 20 years now, going back to the early 2000s. And welcome into the show, uh, Alan Powell, and better known to Pirate Nation as Pirate Al. Al, we appreciate your time this afternoon. Hey, I'm glad to be on with you, Bubba. Looking forward to it. No doubt. i um, been looking forward to this and trying to get it set up for the last couple weeks. And, uh, you know, there will be a number of topics we'll dive into, um, as you know, when we've talked at ball games and so forth. And we could talk East Carolina athletics forever. Uh, but, uh, you know, just take us back to the early 80s and talk about your path to East Carolina. Well, I, um, I grew up in Hampton, Virginia, but I moved to Charlotte when I was in the uh, eighth grade. So I went to high school there in Charlotte. And then in 1982, is when I uh, wanted to be a pirate. Um, I had an uncle that lived in Greenville at the time. He was an insurance agent, uh, Bill Deans. And uh, so I was a little bit familiar with Eastern North Carolina, plus my grandparents uh, lived up on the river, Perquimans River in Hertford, North Carolina. So I always had my, my heart set on, on going to the eastern part of the state in Charlotte. Uh, I always want to live in a college town. So I moved, uh, moved to Greenville in 1982. And uh, 40 years later, I'm still here, Bubba, and I, and I love it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you you certainly uh, live up to that nickname, uh, Pirate Al, and we'll talk about the origins of that. I, I, I would imagine it'd be pretty simple. But, uh, you know, take us back there to the early 80s when you arrived to East Carolina. You know, the, the football program had accomplished so much uh, during the 60s and the 70s under, under Clarence Dastovich, then Sonny Randall, uh, Pat Dye. Uh, to name a few of the coaches during those eras that were extremely successful. So, uh, you know, what did you know about East Carolina football? And then talk about what you experienced there in the early 80s, specifically those 82 and 83 seasons where the Pirates were 7-4 and four and 8-3. and three. Oh, man, there, there, there were some great times. The talent on those teams was unbelievable. But I didn't know a whole, whole lot about the football program. I just knew that when I stepped foot on campus, I was home. And um, – I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. I love being a pirate. I always will love being a pirate. But uh, in 1982, um, they back then they actually had pet rallies on Friday nights before the Saturday games. And so I'm, I'm a freshman, so I show up uh, over there just to you know to, uh, to the pet rally, get all fired up for the game Saturday, not knowing anybody, um, just a few people from my high school that went. And uh, so anyway, the the um, the pet rally was over and. Um, I was walking, walking out of the stadium and all of a sudden I felt this, this hand slap me on the shoulder and I turned around and uh, it was Ed Emery. And he said, son, I just want to let you know how much I appreciate you coming uh, to supporting the team. Looking forward to, to you coming to the ball games. Bubba, my, my blood went, turned from red to, to uh, purple at that time. And I, it's never changed. Ed Emery, <clears throat> just that few minutes he spent with me, um, and I was already going to love the Pirates, but that took it to another level, buddy. That's when I really started uh, falling in love with the purple and gold, and and um, it's never going to change. I've certainly heard um, some unbelievable stories about Coach Emery. 
and uh, I'm sure we may discuss some of those later on. But uh, my dad, as you know, is a class of 76 in East Carolina, and you know he, he just thought the world of Coach Emery. Um, Coach Emery had played for the Pirates and then also you know, been an assistant coach. Uh, so, so just talk about Coach Emery and then, uh, you know, just what what he meant to the program, and he certainly bled purple and gold. I don't know if there's you could have hired a man that loved this university any better than him. I mean, it was his dream to be our coach until he couldn't coach anymore and retire as a pirate. Uh, he he, he uh, slept, bled, cried, worked, everything he needed to do, uh, that man did it. So, uh uh, there's no more no more loyal person on this earth uh, as far as a coach for this university you could have had than Ed Emery. He was he was fantastic. And you you talk about pep rallies during those years uh, uh, on the old '83 highlight film. I certainly uh, you know saw the pep rally that was held before the NC State game that season um, where the Pirates mm-hmm. beat the Wolfpack on on TBS 22 to 14 I think it was uh, at Carter Finley Stadium, but uh, what are your memories of that 83 team? I mean, eight and three finished ranked 20th in the country. So few bowls back then the pirates didn't go to one, but uh, what a memorable season. And that, that team was just stocked with talent. And I think it was something like 13 or 14 guys went on to the NFL. That's right. I think it was 14 Bubba, but uh, that uh, the, the, the talent on that team was unbelievable. Um, I'm in my what my 41st or 42nd year of pirate football now, and and a man for man um, that was, and we've had some good years, of course, some special years like the Peach Bowl year and uh, the Liberty Bowl year, and some other years that were really really good. But there's there's no way we've ever had as much talent as we had on that '83 team. Um, on the line of scrimmage uh, was, was was phenomenal. We had the speed. We had Henry Williams, the number one kick returner in college football. Uh, we had Ernest Biner, tailback Tony Baker. Um, I mean, I can go on and on and on about the talent, <clears throat> but uh, it was special. We ran the freeze option under Art Baker, um, and um, we had Kevin Ingram and um, I believe Carlton Nelson was, was were the quarterbacks back then, and they ran it to perfection. Uh, it, it was just fun to watch. It was one of those deals, sort of like sort of like Navy. It was a it was a um, we might three yards you, four yards you, five yards you, three yards you, eighty yards you. Uh, so if everybody on defense didn't play their assignment, then uh, we could bust one for a big game, and we had the studs and the speed to do it. No doubt. I mean, I mean you almost hate to start naming people. There's so many uh, tremendous players on on that team and in that era. I mean, you you mentioned Kevin Ingram, who actually what came in from Villanova when Villanova shut down his program, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And then you right. had you had Ernest Biner, who went on to such a tremendous NFL career, both as a player and as a coach. Um, Jimmy Walden, uh, mm-hmm. you had you had Ricky Nichols at, at receiver, and yep. then you know, on the on the defensive guy, defensive side, you had guys like Mike Grant, uh, Kevin Walker, Clint Harris, and so many uh, tremendous players. Oh, without a doubt, you had Norwood Van at tight end who played in the NFL for a while. You had um, Steve Hamilton play for the Redskins. <clears throat> I don't know seven or eight years. Uh, Reggie Branch was a fullback. Uh, he played for the Redskins later on. Jeff, Jeff Pegues, I mean, golly, I don't want to leave anybody out. Yeah. Um, it's the, the talent was unreal. Uh, and, then, of course, Terry Long, who played for probably 10 years with the Pittsburgh Steelers, offensive guard. Um, what, a, what, a, what a talented team, man. And just hearing some of the stories from, from my dad, who, you know, who went to 
a large percentage of the games that season. And, you know, me going back and watching that 83 highlight film, um, you know, I would have given anything to be able to, to experience some of those games like that. Uh, as much as you would have hate to have been on the losing side, it had to be, you know, just tremendous, like the 47-46 game against Florida State, the, the 12-7 loss at the Orange Bowl where we had two receivers run together mm-hmm. on the play on the final um, play of the game there uh, with what Stefan Adams and Norwood Van, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and then you also had the near miss at the Swamp where we lost 24-17 with a ridiculous um, – pass interference away from the football, a call that no longer exists, a penalty that was done away with there shortly after that 83 season, I believe. It's kind of funny back then. It's um, <laughs> whenever the game got tight down the stretch and you had one of your, one of your blue bloods, so to speak, like a, like a Florida that was in, or Miami that was in uh, a chance of them getting beat all of a sudden here comes the hankies. Uh, you know, it's almost like the word was put out. Look, I don't care what you got to do. Don't let them win. So well, it was, but uh, going back to Florida State game, Kevin Ingram was down. He, we were driving to win the game. I don't know what it was. About a minute and a half to go on the clock. We're around the midfield, and he make. I don't know. He has like a eight to ten yard run around the right end, and then um, he's down, and then the, the ball pops out. I think we'll fumble. Unfortunately, back then he didn't have instant replay. Uh, Miami, yeah, I think he had Stephon Adams and, and Norwood Van collide in the end zone. Uh, Stephon had the ball in his hands. And Norwood's helmet popped the ball out. They, it wasn't his fault. It's just both guys wanted to run, roll, win really bad, and they just, you know, they went for the ball, and that happened. And then um, the, the Florida game was uh, the same thing: the pass interference on the other side of the field. And Clint Harris had three interceptions that game. He was at everybody on that team, and we we were loaded. Um, he was the one that I would have thought would have had the best NFL career of everybody. Not to go too far um, you know, down a rabbit hole, so to speak, but um, that 83 Miami game, a funny story um, that my dad's told to me as I got older. He said that he and then longtime Pirate fan, uh, you know, uh, an alum from the early 60s, I believe, maybe even the 50s, but um, at least there in the early 60s, and that's uh, William Carroll, Bill Carroll, who currently still lives in Greenville. And uh, he, he had the nickname Rusty, but he said Rusty and I were uh, – you know, we were just following the radio signal um, to wherever we could hear the ball game. You know, you were with your your mom and uh, and Pat, which is Bill's wife. Uh, y'all were at uh, Walkamall. You know, they're you know, shopping and so forth. And <laughs> my dad said that they followed the signal and they ended up in a, a trailer park down in Fuquay Verena, and, and they, they were listening to that game. And just the way it was going with the Pirates having the, the canes on the ropes in the Orange Bowl, they were, you know, jumping up and down, you know, hugging each other. He said, he said, Rusty, he said, these folks at this trailer park are going to look and wonder what in the world, uh, <laughs> what, what in the world's going on? What, what is wrong with those guys? They're drunk or, you know, something's wrong with them. They're, they're uh, me- mentally disturbed. But, uh, you know, they were so into the game that they didn't even care. Yeah, back then, Bubba, it was, um, I mean, it was – some games are on television, but 90, 95% of them were on the radio. And, um, and the, the radio stations weren't all that wonderful back then. And you had to, uh, if you were traveling, of course, you'd almost have to pull over uh, and get next to some uh, a metal roof on a building or something and just try to do whatever you could to hear, to hear the uh, play-by-play. It was, it, was, it, was, it was interesting back in those days. No doubt. Um, even, you know, when I was 
a teenager uh, up in the mid to late 90s, um, the coverage w- was not even remotely what it is today. Uh, you know, and, that, and that continued on into the early to uh, late 2000s um, as far as not being able to watch games on the Internet and all the streaming that you have today. I mean, you, you just had to uh, – you had to look up scores in the newspaper, read articles, and uh, you, you and you just you, there in the Winston Salem area. You had several Pirate players from that area, the Hart Twins, EJ mm-hmm. Gunthrop, and several others. So um, a lot of the folks in that area would get local sports bars to put the games on, uh, like the '95 game at Syracuse and uh, other big games, uh, so we could watch them. Absolutely. That's right. uh, We've come a long way. Thank goodness now all our games are on television. And um, sometimes I worry about it might might hurt attendance, even though we're having a great year with attendance this year. But sometimes I, you know, I wonder if, um, you know, if there's a fine line there because you want a packed house, but then again, it's so convenient uh, for the, you know, casual fan to sit on the couch and watch the ball game. Certainly a valid point, but, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, a lot of fans or the majority of the fans will be like, us um as nice as it is to have that exposure it's nothing like being at dowdy ficklin or wherever the pirates are playing no you got to be there alive you got to support the teams i mean they bust their tails all year long the kids do and the coaches do and all they ask is for you to do is show up and watch them so we owe that to them but to be able to come home and take the and take the ball game and go back home and watch it especially if we win uh that's the best of both worlds so as the 80s progressed um Needless to say, the football program and really probably the athletics department as a whole, um, you know, financially and you're making that transition and playing big time, uh, you're a major 1A independent and you're playing a who's who schedule against the likes of Miami, Florida State, Penn State, et cetera, Auburn. Um, so just talk about your memories of those years where the mo- mantra was going after the best. Um, you, you had Dave Hart um, during that era on board and eventually became director of athletics. And just talk about the, the program's direction and then obviously um, the hiring of Bill Lewis and all that followed during his tenure. Yeah, that was after, um, and I think it was a bad mistake, but that was after the 84 season, I believe, is when they let Coach Emery go. And Art Baker was our offensive coordinator back uh, in 83 when we were you know, we were we talked about how loaded we were, but he went down and was the offensive coordinator at Florida State uh, in 80, 84, I believe it was. So they brought Art Baker back, and um, uh, it was some it was some lean years from eighty five to eighty eight, uh, eighty four to eighty eight. I'm sorry, was some lean years. Um, but uh, yeah, we were playing Murder's Row every week, like you talked about. It was one week. It was it was Miami, Penn State, um, Florida State. Uh, Auburn. I mean, it's just, it was murder, murder's row. And uh, th- those were some tough times, but, uh, but in 89, I think it was 89 is when we brought in Bill Lewis, who was a defensive coordinator at Georgia. Um, and he brought a whole new mindset. He recruited well. Actually, Art Baker really left him some nice players toward the end, Baker's end of his career. Um, you know, people like uh, Luke Fisher, Jeff Blake, uh, some of those guys, um, I can go on and on and on, but uh, some of those guys were just young freshmen and, and sophomores when Bill got here. So uh, that was um, that was nice to have that. But Bill Lewis brought in a wonderful who's who coaching staff when he got here. I mean, most of those guys end up being head coaches at major programs all over the country. So um, it was a godsend when we got Bill Lewis. No doubt. And uh, 
a lot of near misses his first couple seasons before we put it all together in 91. Uh, so don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but what are some of your top memories from that 91 season? Wow. Um, of course, a Pittsburgh game. I mean, I've, I've still to this day, and it's been really loud in, in uh, Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, but to this day, that Pittsburgh game is the last, even though we only uh, we only had a capacity of 35,000, that was the loudest I've ever seen at Stadium Rock. It, unbelievable. Because at that time, we were down the stretch where we had a heck of a chance to finish in the top 10. And um, that was one game, I think one game before the last game, or might have been the last game before we went to a bowl game. I can't remember. But uh, that was that was special. I went to Virginia Tech, uh, and uh, they were playing us really, really tough. It was a nip and tuck ball game, and they were going down with about a minute or so to to, to, to go in the game to beat us. I think they were like on their ten yard line, and they threw a pass across the middle, and I think uh, Greg Granderson picked that off around the two, and took it back ninety eight yards to seal that win, and uh, that was a special special moment there. Uh, of course, the South Carolina game. Um, that was that was fantastic. I, I still remember um, they were wondering if we could play with the big boys, and they considered South Carolina one of the big boys. And uh, we ended up beating them. And I remember one play in particular, their running back early in the ballgame went up the middle, and Robert Jones caught him around his waist and picked him up and slammed him, and the whole stadium went berserk. And that was almost like saying, okay, fine, you guys want to play ball, we can play with you. And, of course, the Syracuse game uh, would, where uh, it was a nip-and-tuck game toward the end, and – Jeff Blake broke off that, I don't know what it was, a 50 or so yard run against them to score. Um, just, I can go on and on, Bubba. There were some fantastic ball games. Yeah, like I said in the open, um, we could be here for hours you know, talking about our memories of the various areas of, of pirate football, especially those uh, 1990s teams where so much success was had. But uh, you talk about that Pittsburgh game. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to ex- experience that because of you know my game that day. But uh, – just like you said, you know, 35,000 was the capacity. And I heard stories from folks that were at that game, the announced attendance was 36,000. And they just said, and I mean, it was tough to uh, navigate through the aisles because so many folks were uh, in the aisle. That's true. And they were lined up in both end zones too. Uh, and the, I mean, you could feel the stadium shake um, toward the, you know, during that ball game, especially toward the end of the ball game when we got the, we scored, and then uh, instead of trying to kick the field goal, I mean, extra point to tie it, we went for the we went to take the lead and, and made it where he went option left to uh, to score, and then he went option right uh, to uh, take the lead right there in the final minute of the game. And we won't go arrow by arrow, but you, you've already referenced on some of the success that was had under Coach Logan, uh, the back-to-back Liberty Bowls in 94 and 95, and then obviously back-to-back conference titles in 08 and 09 under Skip Holtz. And then Pirates certainly had some some success under Ruffin McNeil as well, uh, especially that stretch from 12 to 14. Uh, so, what are some of your other top memories? Um, you know, you know, be it some of those that I just referenced or otherwise. The the Skip Holtz years were kind of they actually remind me a little bit of of, um, of Skip Holtz remind me, reminds me a little bit of Mike Houston as far as their mentality. Just to, just they're not going to beat themselves. So, um, very physical. I mean, that defensive line uh, that we had back under Skip Holtz was 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 fantastic. Um, and then we we manufactured enough on offense um, to win ball games. But that was and w- the way we're playing ball now. I mean, it's it's the best years East Carolina's ever had in football, Bubba. 
is when we're we're a pretty uh, competitive or really competitive on the offense and defensive lines. That's what we have now, I believe. First time we've really had it since the Skip Holtz years. But um, but I mean, it's uh, it, it, we had our heart broken, uh, you know, in the Liberty Bowl with when uh, we had several chances to win it against Arkansas. We outplayed them. We outplayed Kentucky. Both of those games, we dominated and found a way not to come up short at the end, unfortunately. But um, anyway, it's just uh, um, there were just some you know great coaches. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we had Skip Holtz. I just hate the hate that we lost them, and it was and it took me a while. To, to be honest with you, it took me a little while to forgive it because when he left, I mean, he left basically right before signing day. Right. And uh, it was it really put Coach Ruffin in a horrible situation. Basically, I think he started in like the within the next few days it was signing date, and that was that was really tough. But anyway, and it was some really fun years under uh, offensively under um, uh, Coach Ruff and, and Lincoln Riley and the um, you know the West Coast offense lighting the scoreboard up and you know putting hanging seventy on you know who and uh, fifty six on you know who and just you know, it was it was a fun 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 offensive uh, performance those years. Before we move away from uh, football and talk some other topics, um, got to bring up the Pirates' current success under Mike Houston. You know, year four now, seven and five a season ago. Obviously, could not play the bowl game. Uh, <laughs> we won't go there as far as all the logistics and uh, everything that went into that. Uh, um, we certainly, uh, I'm sure you had your thoughts on that, as did I. But uh, that was what it was against Boston College, and uh, you know now the Pirates are off to a solid two and one start, uh, a missed kick away, or you know, or perhaps another play in that game. It wasn't just all all on uh, the missed kick, but uh, that close to being three and zero with a win over a top fifteen team. I think the world of Mike Houston. I think um, when he got here, he's always won, no matter where he's been. Uh, when he got here, our talent level was. I'm, I'm trying to say this nicely. It was as bad as it gets for a Division One program. I mean, we were right rock bottom. And he came in here and brought a staff in, and they're not used to losing. And he could have come in here and, and said, you know what, we got we got to change this quick, and, and microwaved it, brought in transfers, brought in JUCO kids, did whatever he could to try to turn the program around quick. He didn't do that. He said, you know what, we're going to build this brick by brick. It's going to be painful. It's going to take a while. But hang in there with us. And, and uh, it's taken him his third year or seven and five. I think we're going to have a really good, solid, you know, eight, nine win season this year, maybe even better, hopefully. But, uh, but I think we're, what I like about our team now is we're deep, we're young, and we're, we're built for sustained success. No doubt. Um, very well said. Um, he's really built the program from the inside out, you know, really stockpiled some talent along both lines of scrimmage. And through you know, traditional high school recruiting, as well as bringing in some quality pieces from the transfer portal. Um, and then he's, he's done the same at, at other positions. And I, he, you hear, and I know yes, some of it you, th- you think, well, hey, that's just talk. They're just saying the right thing. But then you hear guys like Miles Berry, who, who's been here in this program five, six seasons. And Miles, I'm um, talking about, you know, our two deep is a legitimate two deep. Um, there's not much. Um, very little drop off. That's right, and that's why I think you're seeing, you know, the second half, especially maybe mid third quarter on, 
the first three teams we played, we completely dominated the game from mid-third quarter on because I think we're deep and we wear people down. And that's do nothing but pay dividends as the season goes on. With the improved success and the program trending back to, and hopefully beyond where it's been in the past, um, we see Pirate Nation getting back into the fold and, you know, the – you know, some folks getting back on the wagon, so to speak. And we've always had a pretty solid base. Um, but, um, you know, over the course of those three straight three and nine seasons, and we lost some folks and, and there was a lot more than just the losing on the field that they endured. Um, but it's great to see people getting back into the fold and season ticket sales trending where they need to be. Um, Pirate club numbers uh, still have a long ways to go, no doubt, but um, they're at least headed back in the right direction. And, how impressive was it to see us have a legitimate 43,000 plus for Campbell last weekend? And that was our biggest crowd outside of the NC State game uh, since 2016. I think it's fantastic. Of course, you look down and you know, you would have thought, I know Campbell Stadium, I think, only holds like 4,000, but uh, they brought maybe, I don't know, I looked down there, maybe a couple hundred people. So, I mean, the other 42, eight were uh, were pirate fans and to have three straight home games in a row uh and the third game being a you know fcs opponent i was thrilled i mean i think um uh, you know the, the product that the, the mike the coaches and players are putting on the field makes people want to say you know what this is fun let's get out there and i'll tell you what else um those ribbon boards man especially night games those ribbon boards and the new scoreboard uh, and, you know, some of the music we're playing between, you know, between downs, especially third down, that gets you juiced up and you have fun. And when you have fun and you got a good product to watch in the field, you want to come back. No doubt. And uh, like you said, the, the atmosphere, it was a late arriving crowd, but uh, it was it was a tremendous crowd on Saturday night against Campbell. And like you said, the, the ribbon boards and just everything that contributes to the atmosphere. Um, was clicking on all cylinders from all I could tell. But um, along those lines with the resurgence of season ticket sales and Pirate Club numbers trending in the right direction um, back to and hopefully beyond that uh, number of 8,400 that we had back in 2008, talk about your background with the Pirate Club. And then we'll also, uh, in a few minutes, very quickly talk about Pirates Unite and that capital campaign, as well as some of those others that you were a part of through the years, because I know uh, you and your family gave very generously to the Clark LeClaire Stadium, um, you know, capital campaign back all those years ago. So just talk about your background in the Pirate Club, because I know you joined back when you were still a student. Yeah, my um, entering my, my junior year in 1984 is when I joined the Pirate Club. So, uh, gosh, what's that been? Uh, 38 years or so. So, um, but yeah, proud member of the Pirate Club. And the benefit of that is, of course, is, is continuous giving um, and um, supporting the program. When you do that, you start building points up. So I'm real fortunate enough to, to have been in it this long that I've got really good seats uh, for baseball, basketball, and football. And I miss very few games. And, but it's, it's nice to be able to have uh, nice seats to be able to watch that. But yeah, my um, – my dad and I, um, baseball is always a huge passion for us. We um, Baseball is a very, very close I, – I, you know what? I, I would say it's tied for first place with football. Uh, my, my, my dad and I love, love baseball. But um, I always thought we had the potential to be a top 20 program. Um, and then when they were talking about raising funds for the uh, the new Carpenter Clare Stadium, uh, 
we stepped up, mostly my dad um, stepped up and uh, donated to that. And I'm so glad we did because uh, that if there's one sport um, that you can, we can win a national championship in without a doubt, it's baseball. We definitely can. I mean, you've seen that, um, the way the program, as good as it had been, it's even gone to another level under Cliff, you know, a consistent participant in Super Regionals. And uh, we, we've won a couple games, been so close and so many others. And there's, it's just a matter of time before Cliff and this staff get the program to Omaha. Uh, no doubt about it, on the way they're stockpiling talent and the way they go about their business. And these, these guys win um, – both or you know in in every phase on the field in the classroom in the community and it makes you proud to be a pirate club member on uh, seeing the guys excel in every area of life no question there's nobody on this earth that i think could, could be a better ecu baseball coach than what we got cliff godwin i hope he retires i hope he retires here he's done a phenomenal job and uh with what i'm seeing in recruiting coming up in the next you know two, three, four years of quality kids are committing to us. Uh, we're going to be good for a while. And I don't, as long as he's here, I don't see that, that stop anytime soon. So you talk about your love for um, the baseball program, as well as I, I know you're long time season ticket holder for men's hoops as well. And so just talk about your, some of your favorite memories that come to mind. Uh, we all certainly have um, th those memories and whether it's a game we were at or watching on TV, like the, the game where Coach LeClaire was in the van at the CompUSA tournament at Granger Stadium, that's one that always comes to mind. What, what are some of your top memories from the different sports? We'll start with baseball. Oh, baseball. Um, gosh, all, all the NCAA tournaments. The frustration of having to go to Wilson and, and uh, Kinston to host. even And it's not the NCAA's fault at the time. We just didn't have the facility. But that's why it was so important to, to build what we, what we built. Um, we went down to LSU and um, you knocked them off um, in front of a packed Alex Box Stadium. That was that was phenomenal. And then, actually, I think we had an excellent chance to beat them the next day, but um, that we had a rainout, and uh, they were able to get their number one pitcher. I can't remember his name now. That we had to turn around and play him on a Monday, and um, when they got him back, um, they were able to beat us at that last game. But uh, but just just mostly the NCAA tournament games. I mean, you know, playing uh, playing some of the um, you know the the Rice teams uh, that were so loaded back then. Um, you know, playing the um, the local ACC teams in baseball were always very competitive. But uh, but yeah, there's a uh, very few very few universities have a passion for baseball like we do. I definitely think we have one of the top ten atmospheres in all of college baseball and. And uh, with all the way from, you know, Greenville being a uh, little league baseball, uh, you know, just being so important here, it's just the whole community just rallies behind it every, from little league on up. And um, we're going to, you know, it's, it's a fun place to be. No doubt. For what about the last 24, 25 seasons, at least we've led the state in attendance and we've ranked top 20, top 25 nationally, sometimes as high as maybe the top 12 to 15 nationally. And, uh, you know, some folks from where I'm from, uh, Lexington, North Carolina, um, they were attending the game and, you know, high school baseball coaches. And, you know, they had been to a game or two at Clark LeClaire. Uh, one of them had, the other one had not. And so, you know, he really, when he experienced that Texas Super Regional game one, <laughs> he, said, he said, 
he said noon on a Friday. And I mean, he understood that it was super regional, but still he said just a noon on a Friday blew his mind. The atmosphere, he said, he said, this is SEC. Oh yeah. That's the atmosphere that's here at Clark McClare today. No doubt about it. We care. We care more and uh, we're, we're passionate and it's a whole, it's a whole new ball game. Even when we bring recruits in they they look around their eyes are, you know, huge. They're like, Oh my God, these guys are nuts in a good way, in a good way, because if the environment is um, electric and it's, uh, it's 100% an SEC atmosphere. And it was awesome to hear that from, even though we think it, but it was from someone who had played at high point, And then the other individual was someone who had uh, had a son that played at UNC Wilmington and pulled, and also um, he had been a, a North Carolina fan. So um, just hearing it coming from unbiased folks like that, that, you know, if anything, then they had a reason to pull against East Carolina. They could not deny the atmosphere uh, that we have with Clark LeClaire in the jungle. That's one of the benefits of living in a college town. I mean, we, we're not, we don't have a Carolina Panthers. We don't have a Washington Redskins. We don't, well, well you know, <laughs> I guess I'm supposed to say commanders now to me. They're always yeah, the Redskins. Okay. They're the Redskins to me too. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, we don't have any pro teams here. I mean, we're a college town. We got the pirates and that's what, that's who we support. There's no, there's no, uh, Hey, look, if I, you know, um, this is my second team or this is my third team or, you know, if my pro team didn't play and I pull for the Pirates. No, no, no. We, this, it's the only game in town and I love it. As we wrap this up, um, one of the things I talked about the Pirate Club, when we, when we talk about increasing the numbers, if you just had to leave um, members of Pirate Nation, you know, who maybe attend games, support the program to some degree, but have not been a member of the Pirate Club or perhaps have been a member of the Pirate Club and are not currently a member, you know, what would you say uh, one or two things to those individuals and why they need to get back into the fold? It's just critically important to financially support the team. I mean, um, uh, our dollars, the Pirate Club dollars, go to scholarships um, and, and to help support um, every sport, baseball, basketball, football, uh, soccer, softball, swimming, tennis. I mean, I go on and on and on. But it's just critically important to financially support support the, uh, the, the young, the young uh, players and, and the athletes. It's critical to show up tenants wise. Yeah, that's that's huge. But also financially, um, it's for years and years and years. Uh, we were not able to fully, fully uh, scholarship every sport we have. And hopefully we are now. I'm not sure if we are now or not, but if we're not, we're close. But, yeah, we need to we, we've got to get our numbers back up. I know the pandemic and there's some other reasons why uh, those numbers kind of fell off uh, numbers wise, plus financially. Uh, but uh we're past that now, and uh, we just need everybody to, to rally behind it. And we've got uh, we're putting a nice product on the field, and we need we need to stand behind the players and the, the uh, support the players. Well said. Um, well, Al, we certainly appreciate your time this afternoon. Well, um, you've been on the podcast before, but um, most of the time we're talking current topics and haven't really taken too many trips down memory lane. But it's great hearing about your pirate story. And I will certainly be having you back on the sports objective down the road. Call me in time, Bob. I enjoy it. And I will, uh, uh, since Ed Emery popped me on the back and said, thank you, son, for supporting the pirates and being here. Um, from that minute on, I'll die. I'll die being a pirate. And, uh, I love my team. I love my community. Um, and, um, hopefully I got, I'm 58 years old now. So hopefully I got uh, a few years, a few years left to enjoy watching this play. I appreciate your time. And thanks for having me on.
Pirate Nation, that is Alan Powell, better known in East Carolina circles as simply Pirate Al. And we appreciate you tuning in to A Pirate's Life for Me here on the Sports Objective. And that is episode four of A Pirate's Life for Me. You can go back and watch all those archived episodes on our YouTube channel by simply searching the Sports Objective and then go to our playlist. And we have A Pirate's Life for Me as well as all of our other programming um, right there in playlists that are that make it easy for you to uh, locate all those episodes. But um, for Pirate Al, I'm Bubba Rosenbaum. You've been watching and listening to A Pirate's Life for Me on the Sports Objective. Take care, everyone, and as always, go Pirates. The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates.